The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Good morning. What I am hoping by God's grace to accomplish this morning is to focus our attention on what I am calling consuming purpose. God's consuming purpose, our consuming purpose, and it's one purpose that I'm talking about. My prayer is that it will fuel your desire to be increasingly consumed in the best and healthiest possible way by God's all-consuming purpose. This purpose can either be served like King David did in Acts 13.36 where it says he served the purpose of God in his generation or it can be rejected like the Pharisees did when they refused to follow the Messiah on his terms. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you love his gospel, you are serving the purpose of God. No matter what occupation you're in, no matter what your age is, no matter what your health is or your education or your situation in life, no matter what your past is, life itself and our lives in particular are like a tapestry where when you look at it from a merely human perspective, all you see is the backside of the tapestry with the strings and the stitching making very little sense. But if you look at it from God's perspective, you see the other side of the tapestry. There is a beautiful design that you will fully understand when all is said and done. We get glimpses of it now, but the day is coming when we'll see all the stitching and the strings making sense. Or we could say life in general and our lives in particular are like a jigsaw puzzle. Each piece has its own shape, and we may try to fit the pieces together. How many times I have tried to push those pieces in and they just don't fit? Um, Each piece has its own shape. But if your home is like our home, there are often pieces missing. When you get to the done, when you're done, there's still pieces missing. Well, the day is coming when we who love God and are called according to His purpose will see the perfectly completed puzzle and the brilliant tapestry and everything will make sense. But now we live in hope amidst the dangling threads and the missing puzzle pieces. Left to ourselves, we will not see the purpose clearly. Left to ourselves, we will center the purpose around ourselves and how we think things should be. We will come up with our own definitions of marriage or gender 
or race or whatever. We need to have ultimate purpose revealed to us by the creator of the universe himself. And this is what Scripture is all about. This is Reformation Sunday, a calling to celebrate the the proper placement of the Bible as the objective standard, the objective Word of God that we can study and we can shape our lives around. These past couple weeks, we have been celebrating Bethlehem's 150 years of faithfulness to this purpose. Not perfect faithfulness, but real faithfulness. We have been hearing about the early years of Bethlehem's devotion to God's global purpose. I hope you've heard some of those stories this past couple weeks. Thank you, Um, Global um, Focus Department. You guys did a great job. And we've also heard about the last four decades of Bethlehem's renewed devotion to God's global purpose. By his amazing grace, a missions renewal began in 1983 before many of you were born. And it has continued by his sheer grace unabated until this present time. And we believe by his grace it will continue into the future, hopefully until Jesus returns. My prayer this morning is that you will leave with a renewed sense of the purpose for which you have been created, God's purpose for which you've been created. I don't pretend to tell you the unique vocation that you are to fulfill. We all have various senses of what that might be, and our sense of it may change with the next career fair fair or missions conference. You can imagine, since this is the final Sunday of Bethlehem's global focus, there will be today an emphasis on the global dimension of God's purpose. And yes, there will be. But I want to say at the outset what we have been saying for decades at Bethlehem and mean with all our heart is that our aim as leaders of this church is not to imply that if you're really spiritual, really obedient, really sold out for God's purpose, that this means you will pack your bags and become a missionary. We have never believed that. We believe, we have emphasized from the beginning that the biblical teaching is that the goers and the senders are fellow workers with the truth, according to 3 John verse 8. One is not to be exalted above the other, but we are also not hesitant to invite even the most unlikely among us to ask the question of whether your future might involve long-term cross-cultural missionary endeavors. And so it's become a meaningful tradition during our global focus to invite those in our congregation who are in cross-cultural ministry already or who are already making active steps in our nurture program toward cross-cultural ministry, but also for those who, in whom God is stirring 
And there is a sense that I think God wants me to go in this direction. And I'm going to take some active steps to seek guidance and to seek training. And so we are going to issue an invitation at the end of our service today to invite those three groups to come up. So I just want you to know ahead of time. And uh, it's not that everyone comes up. You're not supposed to. But for those that sense that uh, they are being called into long-term service and want to be actively trained, we would want you to come as well. So just keep that in mind. I'll invite Brad Nelson, our global outreach pastor, at the end of the service to come up and to say a couple words about that, to make the invitation. It's not meant to be dramatic, but it's been very, very significant. So be, be in prayer that God will move by his spirit how he sees fit. Back to the consuming purpose. Why should we get out of bed on a rainy Monday morning? in late fall when it's getting really cold why should we get out of bed or bigger why why am I here what have I been made for I believe these are general these are questions that we all ask what what is my purpose is there a purpose before I became a Christian Just prior to my 17th birthday, I didn't have much of an answer. I thought about it. I was in a phase of my life when I lived in the the hope of a great weekend coming up. For the next party, that was my purpose, just to make it through school to the next party, the next high. I was a hippie wannabe back in the late 60s and early 70s, which I'm sure a few of you were as well. I pursued the artificial highs of drugs and alcohol and a girlfriend and even a totally unrealistic aspiration of maybe one day being a professional golfer. If you played golf with me today, you would realize how laughable that aspiration was. And I came to realize that finding my, my purpose in any of these things was very inadequate and had no power to motivate me to live my life well. Thankfully, God gave me the grace to repent of my very egocentric sense of purpose and to embrace the universe-impacting gospel of God through His Son, Jesus Christ, applied by the Holy Spirit. And everything changed. I became consumed with a purpose. I couldn't articulate the purpose very well, but I knew that my purpose for living was to know the one true God and to make him known with my words and actions. In college, I learned from more careful study of the Scripture that I was created for the glory of God, it says in Isaiah. 
and created for the glory of God, not to give him a glory that he didn't already have, but rather to behold his glory, to praise his glory, to enjoy his glory, to reflect his glory, and to join our triune God in drawing others into the worship of his glory. To help us think about the all-consuming purpose of God, I want to do three things this morning. First, I want us to slowly and carefully read through the most unique prayer in the Bible without really any commentary. Second, I want to briefly summarize what I am calling consuming purpose. And then third, I want to share with you a contemporary prayer from a man who has deeply influenced my life as one who is consumed with this purpose. We all need examples. We all need to see people who are consumed with the purpose. And many of you are examples to me. And then we're going to close the service with the invitation for all of us to commit ourselves afresh to this all-consuming purpose. And some of us, perhaps, if God so leads, to come to the front to receive prayer for guidance for the purpose of considering cross-cultural ministry. Part one, the most unique prayer. The most unique prayer in the Bible. Every prayer in the Bible is wonderfully unique. But none more unique than this one. When you consider who prayed it and when he prayed it. We could call it the Lord's Prayer. But I'm not referring to the majestic prayer Jesus taught us to pray that begins, Our Father who art in heaven. That is the model of prayer that should govern us incredibly. But I'm referring to the prayer that the Lord Jesus himself prayed in John chapter 17. He prayed this prayer after he spoke to his disciples in the upper room at the Last Supper. You can see that in John chapter 13 through 16. Jesus gave a long discourse, the upper room discourse. And after he was done speaking horizontally to his disciples, he lifted his eyes and prayed. He prayed this before another amazingly unique prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. He prayed there. But I'm going to focus on this upper room discourse prayer. As I read this prayer, I want you to turn to it. Turn to John chapter 17. And I want you to listen for all the places that reflect God's all-consuming purpose, which I believe is our all-consuming purpose as a church. And it's all, our all-consuming purpose for every believer, individually, and for anyone listening in this stream. And then I want to urge you to read it again and again at home 
and meditated on its meaning. So my purpose now is I'm just going to read this prayer and let the Holy Spirit use this prayer to draw your life closer and closer to the consuming purpose of God and your consuming purpose. John 17, verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, John 13 through 16, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you have given me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. For them, I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you, Father. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them. And not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they're not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, 
but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you've loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. This sermon, this prayer is a sermon series. I hope you understand. It took every ounce of energy to not comment after just about every verse. What I want to do now is to try to sum up in a a summary way of talking about this consuming purpose of God that's that's influenced by this passage and other passages. And this is, again, just to invite you to ponder these things for yourself. Throughout eternity, past, our triune God was never bored. Before the foundation of the world, the Father loved the Son. What was he doing before creation? He wasn't lonely. He wasn't bored. He wasn't looking for something to entertain him. He was loving the Son. The Son was loving the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. The inter-Trinitarian love, eternal. And there came a moment, however you talk about time, how do you talk about time? But there came a moment when God created the universe, infinitely content in the fellowship of the Trinity, God created the universe. He spoke it into being out of nothing. And he created an earth, this little thing 
that as we are seeing more and more through the telescopes and space trips and so forth, there's galaxies upon galaxies upon galaxies upon galaxies, and there's this little earth, and God made this little earth. And in this earth, he made a garden. And in that garden, he made the first image bearers, Adam and Eve. Isaiah tells us that God's deep motive behind the creation of humanity is that he created them for his glory. Did he lack glory and he needed humans to fill up his half-empty glory tank? No. He created humans to graciously draw them into the enjoyment of his glory that the Father and the Son and the Spirit have eternally enjoyed. He created humans not out of need, If he created us out of need, we would be in a system of working for him, having to somehow barter with him, having to somehow do good works to to obligate him now to bless us. It's not the way it is. God is infinitely full and complete. And so he didn't create humans out of need. He created humans out of overflowing love. Humans in his own image. Humans with the capacity to marvel at and be satisfied with the infinite beauty of the Lord. King David understood this in Psalm 27, 4, where he says, One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Why? to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. David got it. He could have had anything as the king, but one thing he wanted was to behold the beauty of the Lord. God gave to Adam and Eve everything in abundance and told them not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But they took their eyes off of God's infinite, all-satisfying beauty, and they looked at themselves and decided they could find more happiness going their own way rather than trusting that God had their deepest and longest-lasting happiness, joy, as his passionate purpose. They exchanged the glory of God for a lie. And they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. That's what's true of every one of us. When we knowingly choose to go into the way of sin rather than follow God in his way of infinite joy. So they exchanged the glory of God for a lie. Every human has followed in their steps. Everyone in this room, everyone in the world, from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. But even this was part of the eternal plan of God. He set up the world in such a way that he could show human beings infinite love. 
infinite mercy without compromising his perfect righteousness. God's holiness and human sin cannot dwell together. So he designed a way for mercy to be poured out on sinners like us without compromising his absolute holiness and righteousness. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father apart from me. The Son of God became flesh and dwelt among us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Unlike Adam, Jesus lived a perfect life, died a sacrificial, atoning death in our place, and rose again, inaugurating a new creation. This new creation will be made up of human beings from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. It is a global purpose. It's a global purpose. This new creation will be made up of human beings who trust in the all-sufficiency of God and not in the fantasy of their own self-sufficiency. The history of redemption is unfolding as the good news is being proclaimed from person to person and from people group to people group. And we all have a part to play in that purpose. Earlier in John's Gospel, Jesus said, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Another text in John, it's a surprising text, where Caiaphas the high priest prophesied. And he said, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not only for the nation, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. That's what missions is, is gathering the children of God scattered abroad in every tribe and tongue. So when you go home this morning or later on this week, I invite you to meditate on John 17. And, uh, and what I encourage you to do is, is to find markers. Um, or I found my granddaughter's um, colored pencils. And, uh, and what I did was I printed out the text and I highlighted um, all the purpose statements. So um, you won't be able to read this, of course, but... Uh, but this is what I, what I did, is I just, all the, pur- all the purpose statements, every place there was a, there was a that, I thought, now, now is that showing me a purpose? And so, and then I put in the margins all the places I saw purpose just, just powerfully being stated. What is the purpose? And I meditated on those purposes. But also highlight the name, just the word glory, glorify. And you just see all of that all the way through. Glory, glorify. 
I highlighted the, the, the word name, which I think is close to glory. I highlighted joy. And then one of the words that came up again and again is the word one. This one that be gathered into one. Oneness with the Father and the Son and oneness with each other in the Father and in the Son. And so I just say, if I can, if I can leave you with going home to meditate on this with an open heart before the Lord, I believe that he is going to draw us farther up and farther in to this all-consuming passion and purpose. Because if we don't intentionally do things like this, we just kind of get caught up in just everyday life. And everyday life is holy, it's good. And, uh, but how do we keep penetrating through to the purpose? Why am I here this day? What am I to be about? Our oneness is in our union with the triune God ordained by the Father, purchased by the Son, applied by the Spirit. Our oneness is our unity of purpose in glorifying, enjoying, and making known the one true God. Our unity is not based on our heritage or our ethnicity or our politics or our socioeconomic status or education or our alma mater or our allegiance to certain sports teams or on any human-centered agenda. Our unity is in the gospel of God, the good news that our triune God is beyond description and that he reigns and that his purpose will be accomplished by winning worshipers to himself from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. In closing, before I invite Brad to come up, I want to read to you another prayer from a person that's had an exemplary influence on my life, a deep influence on my life. I'm not going to tell his name, but if you know me and, and uh, you uh, know what I'm about in Cameroon, you might guess who it is. This young man, he grew up in a broken home like many here, very broken home, very troubled home. And he grew up very worldly, and he became kind of like me, um, just a party man, although he had special, unique talents. So he not only went to the parties, he was hired to go to the parties because he could do Michael Jackson impersonations such a way that people wanted him to be at their party, and so they would hire him to come. He could do the moonwalk and this and this. He's never done it for me, so don't ask him to do it. He became the town barber um, in this little village in Africa. He became a barber and uh, was a good barber. And, uh, and the village was right on the edge of a seminary. And the seminary students would come over to his barber shop to get their haircuts, and, uh, and they would try to convert him. And he was so perturbed with them that he decided he would read the Bible for himself so he could refute them. He was converted reading the Bible. By reading God's Word, God unlocked his heart. 
Shortly after that, he got a hold of two cassette tapes, each tape with two sermons on it and the writing kind of scratched off. And he listened to these cassette tapes again and again and again. He said hundreds of times. He was so mesmerized by the biblical insight in the sermons and the passionate preaching. And a little while later, someone, one of the seminary students came and said, why don't you come to our our chapel? It's our missions week in our chapel. And uh, there's going to be a man preaching there. His name is John Piper. And he said, that's the guy that's on the cassette tape I've been listening to. I thought he was dead. (laughs) And so... This young man closed up his barber shop, walked 200 yards over to the seminary chapel. And as he was sitting in that seminary chapel, he felt overwhelmingly called to give his life to gospel ministry. And so he ended up going to school at the school right there. And uh, meanwhile, we had four of our students from BCS, TBI, were, were teaching at the school at that time, and they were all agreed that there was something unique about this guy. And so they told me, he said, you need to meet this young man and consider if he should maybe come over and study for a season with us. So I went to Cameroon. I interviewed him. I saw what they saw, and I, we didn't have an admissions committee back then, so I accepted him. But I said, I said, why don't you get two more years of church experience? He said, okay. So he went and he planted a church in those two years that's still thriving to this day. But then he gets on the airplane and he comes. And you've got to realize, because I'm going to read you a prayer that he wrote on the plane. I want you to read the prayer he wrote. And here's a guy that's never, never been in an airplane, never been out of his country, never been out of his region. His world was very small, but he heard about America, the promised land of America. Every Cameroonian wants to come to America. And he felt he needed to pray. And so I'm going to pray this prayer and then invite Brad to come up. And just imagine the engine on the plane humming, him looking out the window, just utterly astonished. He wrote, Lord, I will be going out to see the new world into which you have brought me. I do not know how it looks like, but I can guess it is wonderful, for it is your design. All you design is good. Help me, Lord, by your Spirit, to truly appreciate the beauty of this city and America only to the degree that it helps me to see you. May I not be won by its beauty, and miss out on the beauty of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Take my eyes and let them be fully consecrated to you. May this city, Minneapolis, and America at large remain what it is or rather will be to me when I set my eyes on it in a few moments. May Jesus mean everything to me. Spare me, Lord, from becoming more American than becoming more Christ-like in my stay here in the U.S. May U.S. be U.S., and may Jesus 
be the all-satisfying Jesus still more and more. May I not for one may I not for once trade the beauty of Christ with the small and contingent beauty of America. Help, Lord, that I may never decide to stay here, for there is work to be done back home. May the thought about the new earth and the new city, Jerusalem, fill my heart so much that I will seek its coming by doing what you have called me to do. Indeed, your glory will fill Cameroon and Africa as the waters cover the sea. It has to. May I live and study while here for that great end. O oh God, help, for I cannot do so without you. Guard my burden for the church in Cameroon and the church in the unreached tribes in Cameroon and Africa that I will always want to go back to serve. In the name of my all-glorious and all-satisfying Christ, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.